Well, good morning. Why don't you stay standing for a sec? Because I, I want you to give a big, a big cheer because we're going to do something really cool right now. So why don't, I know you, most of you know Elizabeth McLennan and you'd be happy to cheer for her. But why don't you cheer for her and then I'm going to tell you why you're cheering. So give a big cheer for Lizzie. Come forward, Lizzie. So I, I have here an envelope and in it are the keys to a new, oh, sorry, a, a new credit card. <laughs> now this, this is actually her little card from, from our movement, Australian Christian Churches, that is recognising that she is now an ACC pastor. She is, she's got what, what we call a, a PMC, that stands for Provisional Minister's Certificate, so it's, the, it's sort of step one on the journey of being fully recognised as, as an ACC minister. So, Lizzie, I want to present you with your card right now. And... And some flowers. Wow. I, I didn't know I didn't know the ACC were giving out flowers. So what <laughs> the the card I you know, I don't get mine out much, but anyway, it's 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 there if you need it. <laughs> um but anyway, we Alex and I are both really, really proud of Lizzie and I know you all are too and the journey that she's on. And um we you know, we don't use that term around the church lightly when, when somebody's pastor you know we don't have pastors of everything it's it's actually people that have been recognized not just by our local church and by the leadership here but by our movement so um so lizzie's in that process now so yeah pastor lizzie why don't you reach out your hands we're gonna, we're gonna pray for for lizzie in this. lord i thank you so much for elizabeth i thank you for the journey that she's on and and right now you know what what she's been given doesn't do anything new but it identifies the gifts that's on her life and, and the journey that she's on so so we just pray for her right now we just pray that you would you would enable her to walk in the authority that you've given her that you would enable her to continue to lead with with grace and wisdom and and to be able to love people you know with your love so we we commit her and we empower her for what's ahead and we anoint her for the calling that that you have in jesus mighty name amen Amen. Thanks, Liz. So you guys can have a seat now. Who's here? Um, who's here on Sunday night last? Last Sunday night. Give me a wave. Give me a, I just want to see. I want to get a bit of a a feel. All right. Cool. Grant doesn't know whether he's here or not. Yeah. Um, what was really cool um, was our, our, our youth team did what they called a, a youth takeover service. And, and really it was just, to me, it, it, was, it was just sort of further highlighting, you know, what, who we are as a church and, and, and what's going on. And so basically we, we had, you know, the... Pretty much everybody involved was was part of the the youth team. So I want to want to I want to honour Jamie who had the idea and, and did a lot of work in, in carrying that off. But it was it was absolutely an outstanding night here at Energizer, and in, in many ways it was a, a bit of a 
you know, a, a snapshot into to where we are and, and, you know, where our future is. So I know anyone that was there was really, really encouraged. Um, but what I want to say about that is I'm speaking this morning on the same, the same theme that we were on last week and it's, it's I'll go too. I'll go too. You can actually look at what somebody's doing and say, yeah, that's good and cheer them on. Or, or you can actually say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to come with you. I'm actually going to be part of where you're going. And there's a, a lot of different levels that you can do that. But, but there's a spirit when you say, I'll go too, that, that actually there's something very powerful in that. I want to talk about that this morning. But I think when our, you know, when our, our, our next generation uh, are involved in things and, and when we're seeing them, let's be, let's be a church. I know that we love them and we're excited about what's to come. But let's be those people that say, I'll go too. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that might mean, you know, turning up to a service where you're thinking, I'm not going to be as comfortable, but you know what? I want to be a champion for the next generation. I, I want to be where they are. I want to, but I think more than that, I actually want to see, I actually want to see the gold. I, I want to see what is actually in and among us and in our house. You know, one of the, the, the probably most interesting things that you read about somebody who couldn't see the next generation was... When, when David was first anointed as the future king of Israel. And, and many of you will know that, that the prophet Samuel turns up at, at David's father, Jesse's house. And he said, look, one of your boys is going to be the king. Bring your boys out. So you know what he does? He brings, you know, he, he, he brings all the big ones out. He, he brings the good-looking ones out. He brings the ones out that he felt actually had what it took to be king, perhaps. And, and, he, and he left David out in the paddock looking after the sheep. They didn't even mention him. And, and Samuel goes through all the boys and says, well, it's none of them. Have you got another one? He said, yeah, we have. You know, he's still out in the paddock. But the interesting thing is that it actually took, it took a prophet, it took another man to come and tell Jesse what he had in his own house. It actually took somebody else to say, you know what, you have got the future king of Israel in your house and you don't know, you haven't recognised the gift, you haven't seen it, you actually haven't even, even celebrated the potential that is on that young man's life. Let's not, be, let's not be people that need somebody else or need those things to actually come and tell us what we have in our house. Let's not be those people that need somebody to come and say, do you know what you've got in your house? Let's be those people that actually almost, we have an understanding of what we've got here and, and we're championing it and we're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not just going to leave it there and, and say, yeah, yay team. I'm, I'm actually going to say, I'll go with you. I will go with you. When, when we were out riding um, on Saturday morning, we, we'd sort of regroup just on the edge of a road and we were just slightly on the edge of where some cars turned in and, and an old guy sort of cruised in and, and he had a bit of a crack at us for where we were all congregated. And we, well, it wasn't dangerous, it was all right. Um, and one of, one of the guys who's actually older than me, so he's not that young, he said, you know what, I hope I, hope I don't become a, you know, silly, grumpy old man like that. So somebody else said, ah, oh, too late or something like that. But... <laughs> But what, you know, what he was saying is, you know, let's, he was saying, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get cynical as I get older about everything. Yeah. And it's actually easy to do, isn't it? 
Because the further you've been through life, the more things you've seen. You've seen everything and you know what doesn't work and you have wisdom about things. But it's, it's so easy to move to a place of, of being cynical. But I think an I'll go with you spirit is not a cynical spirit. It's a spirit that actually maintains the wonder of actually seeing something for the first time. It, it's a spirit that says, you know what, I, I, I will go with you. It's a spirit that, that doesn't need to project its wisdom on everybody to, to, to be valued. It, it, it's a spirit that says, we will embrace you. And it's something of, of the wisdom that's there just creates security. And it creates an atmosphere. And it creates an opportunity for the next generation to go. So, yeah, let's not be, let's not be cynical and let's not grow up to be those sort of old men and old women. Um, and I, I look around here and I don't think you are. I think you guys are amazing and we've got all ages. But, but I think it's important as we go on a journey that we make sure that we don't become cynical. You don't have to be old to be cynical, by the way. That can happen at, at any age. Let's, let's, not, let's not develop a... Let's not develop a cynical spirit. Let's, let's have a, a spirit of wonder. How, how, do you, how do you have a spirit of wonder? I think last Sunday night before, Scott talked about some of the things that, that stop us becoming old and stale. Talked about continuing to, you know, to sing psalms and you know, find the wonder that's in your relationship with God. Anyway, I'll get back to my message. So I'll go with you. So the, the, the background here of what I'm talking about is there was a prophet, and this, this whole thing is, is, I think, is very important for us as a church at the moment. It, it, it came out of a, a sort of a, a prophetic moment where we had an encounter night here, and, and there was just a, a word that came to me, and it was, it was sort of a word that I gave for you know, one of the girls that was singing on the stage, but it, it, it just, as, as I was speaking it out, you know, God started to work in us and say, there's something much more in this. We've all got to get hold of this. And, and, and the prophet Deborah was a prophet. She was there in Israel. They'd lost their way in, in a whole lot of areas. And, and she was trying to bring back the, the presence and the future and the hope of God into those people. And they were being oppressed. And, and she, she calls out their, their military leader and she says, hey, you know, it's time that we actually stepped up and said, enough's enough. It's time we stopped living in fear. It's time that we stepped into the promise that God has for us. It's time that we took control of our destiny instead of letting somebody else control our destiny. It's time that we got into that. And that guy was Barak. And, and Barak says to her, he says, well, you know, I, I've got the military expertise, but I've got a pretty ragtag sort of army. And, and I, I don't feel that confident about it. And, and he did something I think was incredible. He perhaps gets some criticism by the fact that he didn't say, well, you know, we're just going to go and do this because God said. He actually said to Deborah, he said, I will go if you come with me. And, and, and she said, she didn't say, well, I'm a prophet. I don't do those things. My gift is to sit up on the hill and, and tell you what to do. She said, no, nah. she said, I'm going to go too. She said, I will come with you. And what it did is it meant that, that Barak, a military man, went beyond just being a military man. He actually, the, the, the prophetic anointing and the voice of God and the presence actually went into battle with him. And God did an amazing thing. And I think so often we've got to, 
we've got to sometimes move beyond our office, our calling, our gift set, and allow the prophetic to come into what we're doing. So in Judges chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, it says this. It says, After Ehad's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Isn't it interesting the way these things are worded? They did evil in the Lord's sight. And you think, well, what, what is evil? What were they doing? Well, I don't know. They were probably doing all manner of things. And it says, so the Lord turned them over. And, and we don't like this in, in our society. We don't like this in grace teaching very much where, where, where we, we want to get, we got an understanding of, of who God is. And some of this stuff grates with us a bit. You know, they did bad things. So God turned them over. So Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Caesarea, who lived in um, Harasheth, Hegium. So this, this evil, the result of their evil, and uh, whenever you read, oh, they did evil or whatever, it's not so much about the individual acts. The individual things can often be shocking. They can be awful. But, but when, when God looks at that, he's not just looking at an act. He's actually looking at, at, at the heart, at the culture of a people. And, and, and I don't think God says, all right, you're doing bad stuff, so I'm going to turn you over to this evil king. It was the fact that God said to them, I've got some promises for you. I've got a future for you. I've got prosperity for you. I've given you a land. I want you to be my people who represent my culture and actually show the rest of the world that there is a different way to live. And if you walk in that covering, if you live in that covering, if you are people of that promise, you will be protected, you will be blessed, and you will have the future that I've called for you. But what they did is they walked out from under that umbrella, if, they, if you like. They walked out from under that covering. They walked into a different place. They walked into a different culture. They took on different gods. And, and, and God didn't say, well, you've been bad, so I'll hand you over. He said, you know what? I am, I am good and I am just. And there are things that I cannot bless because I'm good and I'm just. Yeah. So the result was that they walked out from under that. They walked away from his protection. So in essence, they become the victims of the next strong man that's there. And sometimes we get frustrated with, with God not protecting us and not looking after us and things like that. Or sometimes we've actually walked out from under his protection and we've made ourselves vulnerable to the next strong man that is around. You know what, we, we, we walk out from under his protection and we put ourselves under a whole lot of strong men or strong things in our life. You know, whether that be a financial situation, whether that be an addiction situation, what, whatever it is that we, we, we walk out from this protection that God has for us and, and, and we say, okay, I know that's there. And actually we get so comfortable with it and we take it for granted so much. And the next thing we find ourselves in a place where we're not able to be under that protection. It's not that God's saying, you go over here, I'm not going to protect you. I've, probably, I've said numerous times when I was growing up, people said, oh, you know, God sends his, um, his guardian angels, but they get out of the car when you go over the speed limit. <laughs> well, I can testify that's not true. 
And, and that's not the way that God looks at us. But there are there's patterns. There are things that he blesses and there are things because he's right and just he cannot bless. And sometimes we're, we're, we're trying to, to get God to do something he can't. We say, no, I'm going to live over here and I want you to bless it. Instead of saying, God, I, I understand where your blessing is and I want to be in that place. And that's what happened to Israel. They, they, they get all upset. They say, well, God, you did this and that. But the result of their evil meant that they walked out from under his blessing, his protection resulting in a devastating loss of momentum in their nation. And, and they struggled to maintain any momentum because every time a, a leader died, the culture and the values of that leader died with them. So the next person in, in this season of the judges, these people that were raised up to try and point them in the right direction, the next person actually had to start from scratch or, or oftentimes below scratch. He had to start behind the eight ball and, and all over again and mostly it was a deficit because if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. And that was certainly what was happening with Israel. And I, I want to say this, just because a season finishes or a person moves on or something in our world changes, it doesn't mean God has stopped. Yeah, so Only years ago, we went through a, 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 a massive loss of momentum as a church where some things changed and people moved on. And, you know, we had people saying, oh, the Holy Spirit's left the church, all these things that were going on. And, and yes, the atmosphere had changed, all sorts of things had happened, but God hadn't stopped working. God hadn't stopped moving. And, and you will go through seasons in life where there is momentum, there is action, it feels like it's there. You will go through other seasons where it's harder, but it doesn't mean God has stopped. God has not finished with you. His promises for you haven't finished. It hasn't changed. It hasn't stopped. And it certainly doesn't mean that all momentum needs to cease. The book of Judges is a pretty sad, tragic story of the failure of consistency in worship and honour of God. I think momentum is built and increased through consistency. Momentum is built and increased through consistency. And if, if, you're, if you've been in business for a long time, I see my friend Pete here in the front row who's, who's been in business for a long time, and, and he'll tell you that you go through ups and downs, there are seasons, there are things that are outside of your control that will affect your business. But to actually main, main, maintain some momentum in that business, consistency is really important. People need to know who's there and what they're getting and, and, and what's going to happen and, and not, you know, a whole lot of things that are like, wow, gee, that's, that wasn't what I was expecting. And, and if we want momentum in our lives, if we want momentum in our families, if we want momentum in our church, I think there's got to be a sense where we're not always just looking for the next wow thing. There's a consistency that we need to in, in, engage that is going to build momentum. Because momentum is built through being consistent. Israel finally built and maintained momentum when they unified around King David. And and if you've got any understanding of, of the Old Testament, King David is like a shadow of Christ in the Old Testament. 
you know, if we want momentum in our lives, let's unify around Jesus. And I've said this already as we've preached about momentum. But I think unity in our lives comes when we unify around King Jesus. See, when you unify around a person, you will experience disappointment. Because none of us are perfect. We have, you know, whenever, whenever you get put on a pedestal, it's a scary thing. Because you know that you're going to let people down. And if you stand on a pedestal for long enough, you know that there's only one place to go from a pedestal. It's to get knocked off. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've, I've seen it over the years. And I don't think I've been put on too many pedestals. But, but occasionally when, when somebody's, you know, puts you in a place where, where, you know, you're the answer to all sorts of things, you think, Wow. That's a scary place to be because I know, I know I'm not going to be able to deliver on that. So let's make sure that we, A, don't try and find our unity around a person, that our unity is actually found around Christ. We're not, we're not trying to put it in that place and, and let's not want to stand on pedestals. As you know, we've got got a, a, a little two and a half year old and and he's a bit deceived he thinks I'm awesome but the poor little fellow last night he was um he was going through a bit of stuff he's constipated <laughs> he wasn't going through so he was battling and um and he'd go through that and he, he somehow he would think just if he could come to me, I could fix it. But I couldn't fix it. <laughs> and then he'd get frustrated and, he, and, and it was like, okay, he's just having a little lesson that I'm not as good as he thought. <laughs> I can't fix everything. And sometimes it's, it's in those moments where we, we actually put somebody on a pedestal. And, and I think as Christians... In church life, we've done that over and over and over and over again. And we make ourselves very vulnerable. We lose momentum because, you know, when we feel disappointment in that place, when things change, when somebody doesn't quite hit the mark, whatever it is, it's all of a sudden, what have we got left? But you know what? If our unity is in Christ, our security is in Christ, our future is in Christ, We've actually got something there that is much bigger than the person. And Israel found momentum when they unified around a king, King David, who was a representation or a shadow of Christ in the Old Testament. Verse 3, it says, Caesarea had 900 chariots and he ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So it's um, wearing them down. Then the Lord, then the people cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of Lebedoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under a palm, Deborah, the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Robert Jamison, one of the uh, famous Bible commentators, says of Deborah, a woman of extraordinary knowledge, wisdom and piety. We've got any pious people here this morning. Instructed in divine knowledge by the Spirit and accustomed to interpret His will, 
who acquired an extensive influence and was held in universal respect in as much as she... I like this. This this tells us something of, of what the Spirit of God working in the prophetic nature actually brings. It says, in as much as she became the animating spirit of government and discharged all special duties of a judge except that of a military leader. I think, what is it? What is it that animates our government? What is it that... And, and the stuff beyond our control there, of course. All right. A church has got to, got to have what we call governance to work. Any organisation needs to have good governance. Otherwise, it, it, it's, it's a dangerous place. But, but when we think about that, what is it that animates our governance? What is it that animates our leadership? Is it good principles? Is it history? All those things can be important, but it's got to be. It's got to be the Spirit of God that actually animates those things. It's got to be the Spirit of God. It's got to be a prophetic nature in what's going on that brings an animation to, to, to what's going on. You know, sometimes a person can, can stand on a, a platform like this and speak, and they can say a whole lot of good things, and then, and then they're all right. And then as Christians, we're pretty good at saying, oh, you know, there wasn't a, an anointing on that. And it's sort of this intangible thing. And, and we sort of know what we mean, but if you start trying to explain that to somebody who's, who's, who's not familiar with that sort of language, they're going to look at you and think, what are you talking about? And, and so it's hard to explain. But what we're actually saying is that there is an animation that actually comes when the Spirit of God is on something. And we need that animation of the Spirit of God in our life. And I think right now, I just want to really quickly pray. If you're finding that you're involved in some things and you think it's, it's, it's okay, but it doesn't excite me or it doesn't animate me, or you're struggling away, you think the calling's good, but it's not quite happening... And that doesn't mean, what I'm about to say doesn't mean you walk away from hard work and good principles. But what I'm saying is sometimes we need an extra animation on what we're doing. And if you need that, just open your, open your heart right now. And I'm going to pray in this moment that the Spirit of God, that there would be a prophetic voice that would come and animate did you know what an animation, the difference between a, between a picture and an animated picture is the animated picture is moving. It's a whole lot of pictures put in sequence and then it, it, it appears like it's actually moving. See, when, when we're animated, we're, we're not stuck in a zone. We're seeing into the future. There's the next step. There is movement. There is activity. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that, that right now as a church, that your prophetic voice would actually come on upon us and into our lives more and more. That when we get up in the morning, that the first thing that we do is actually prophesy and we declare about our day, about our future, about our businesses, about our children, about, uh, about our city, about our nation, about things that are going on, that we speak that out. 
And I pray right now where people feel like they're stuck, they feel like it's not quite right. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come right now and you would animate those situations. You would bring an animation, you would bring a movement to that right now in Jesus' name. So Deborah's got some movement. She's got some animation. She's actually turned around this whole governance thing of Israel. Not by her background, but by the fact that she speaks out the prophetic word. And so so one day she sent for Barak, son of Abinamon, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord God says, call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon at Mount Tabor and I will call out Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishton River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you. But you will receive no honour in this venture for the Lord's victory over Caesarea will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At, at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with them. And down to, to verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day that the Lord will give you victory over Caesarea, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Caesar and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Caesar leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Harageth, oh, sorry, Harasheth Hagon, killing, Caesar, killing all of Caesar's warriors. Not a single one was left. And, and I said last week that the, the uh, his historian Joseph, Josephus said that that this was probably an army of 300,000 soldiers and 900 chariots. That was significant. And basically, you know, you've just got a tribal leader taking on the might of a superpower. That was what was going on here. And, and the change came when a prophet and a military man unify around a cause and she says, I will go with you. And then there's something amazing that happens in that. And we talked about the power of a kindred spirit last week. But I think great faith is enacted when I say, I'll go with you. A prophetic voice, a kindred spirit, a brave lady prepared to go launch this guy, Barak, into the hall of faith and her country out of oppression. When we go to, I think number one, when we actually say to someone, when we actually take on that spirit, when we go to, when we actually get ourselves from our, uh, off our mountain and, and, you know, sometimes going from projecting our opinions to actually getting involved, when we take on that sort of spirit, I think, number one, we unify around a cause. We, we unify around a cause. The reason Israel kept regressing into evil, as the Bible calls it, um, and landed them in, in this essential breakdown of society was that they lost sight of the cause that they were in. You see, God said to them right back in Egypt, he says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord your God. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm 
and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They forgot what he'd said. His promises hadn't changed. He said, I will bring you out. In other words, I am going to be the one who frees you. I'm going to set you free of that. God says to people this morning, I will bring you out. Whatever you've been going through, whatever has been controlling your life, he wants to bring you out from under that and he wants to set you free of that. And that is a promise. When he made these promises to the Israelites, those promises actually follow through to anybody who enters the kingdom of God because that was a pattern he was putting in place. The first thing in coming into the kingdom of God is salvation, which is actually setting you free of your past and giving you a future. And the second promise, he said, I will rescue you from your bondage. That was, I will deliver you. That was another promise that they forgot. And then he says, I will redeem you. I will buy you back. I will give you purpose and a future. They forgot that they were redeemed. And I think sometimes as Christians, we know we're saved. We know what we're part of, but we forget what redeemed actually means. It means that we were bought back, but it means you are restored and set back to your original purpose. And Jen talked this morning about what, we, what was everything created for. It was created to bring glory to God. You were created to bring glory to God. You have been redeemed so that you can be there and part of his purpose. You've not been redeemed to, to, to just get through life. You've not been redeemed to just hang in there till Jesus comes back. You have not been redeemed just to sort of make it through. You have been redeemed on purpose, for a purpose, to make a difference, to actually bring glory to God in all sorts of incredible ways. And it says you've been redeemed so that you will be part of the things that God created before you were born for you to actually do. And then he says, I'll take you as my people. I will take you as my people. There's, there's a sense of purpose and flow and connection in actually being God's people. When you know what you're part of, there's an incredible security in that. And, and they forgot those promises. When we go to, we call out courage and hope. She says, call out the, the warriors from the tribes of Nath, Naphtali and Zebulon at Mount Tabor. I think when we go to, we call out hope. When, when you actually go to, when, when, when the youth guy said, hey, you know what, we, we're going to actually, we, we, we're going to take out, we're going to take some risk here and we're going to show what God's doing in us. When we get with them and when we go to, we actually call out the hope in the next generation. When we go to, we call out hope. Number three, when we go to, we expose the opposition. She says, and I will call out Caesarea commander of Jabez's army along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishton River. I think where there is unity, we actually expose opposition and we start to see it for what it is and then we can deal with it. But I think when we're disunified, when we're not going together... The opposition is there and it's sort of under the surface. And, and, you know, when you're saying, oh, there's something not quite right here. It's not quite working, but I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't quite know what it is, but I know it's there. 
But when we actually gather together and we go too, there's a power in unity and the opposition is exposed. It becomes obvious and we can actually deal with it. You see, Deborah said, you know what? Prophetically, I'm going to call this guy out. He's going to gather his armies together and he's going to get the whole bang lot of them in one place because he thinks he can't lose. And there they all were and they were dealt with in one go on one day at one time. So often we don't get over things because we don't hit it on the head because we just do little bits at a time. Whereas there are things in your life that God wants to bring out and he wants to, he wants to show you and he wants you to hit them on the head and he wants you to nail them with his power and his authority so that they're not haunting you for years and years and years and years. That's what deliverance is. Deliverance is those things coming out, being exposed, being seen, and you having the wisdom, the power, and the understanding, and the support to say that I'm going to, not going to let those control me anymore, and I'm going to walk through them. They will be exposed, and we will get by, and we will overcome. Right. When we go to number four, I think we, we throw the enemy into a panic. See, they lost that day. Caesar lost that day, not because he didn't have the resource. He certainly had that. Did he have strategy? He had strategy. He had it all. He should have won. But it was a supernatural move of God that actually brought panic in, into those troops, and that's why they lost. And, and I think when we, when we say we'll go too, when we gather together around the call and the cause of God, the enemy actually panics. And he runs. And things dissipate. Things that felt like they were a big wall of opposition actually just sort of go like that when there is unity. We go too when we build something that continues beyond ourselves. Barak and Deborah didn't get the glory. Both of them didn't get the full glory for what happened there. It's a, it's a weird story. Let me read to you the rest of it. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of really weird stuff in the Bible. That, you know, it just shows how God works through weird people like you and I. It's all right. I'm weird and proud. <laughs> it says this, verse 17. It says, Meanwhile, Caesarea ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin. So he goes to a place where he thinks he's got support, where he thinks he's going to be safe. And Jael went out to meet him, Caesar, to meet Caesar and said, come in, come into my tent, sir. Come in and don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty because he'd been running for his life. She gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of my tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you, is there anyone here, say no. But Sisera fell into a sleep from exhaustion. Jael quietly crept up on him. This is a crazy woman. With a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg 
through his temple and into the ground so that he died. Now, that guy was really nailed. <laughs> when Barak came looking for Caesar, Jah went out to meet him and she said, Come and I'll show you the man you were looking for. So she followed, so he followed her to a tent and found Caesar lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king, and from that time, listen to this, and from that time on, they became stronger and stronger against Jabin until they finally destroyed him. It's a weird story. And, and if you understand the culture of that, what, what Jael did was pretty despicable. Because in, 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 in that Middle Eastern culture, one of, the, one of the things that you didn't betray was hospitality. If you took somebody into your home and your tent, you, you were obliged to honour them and make that a safe place for them. She goes out and she meets him and she says, come into my tent. And she takes him out. I don't think it was actually her job to do it. Interestingly enough, Barak was on his way and I'm sure he would have dealt with him. But she did that. What she did wasn't right. What she did was for her own motives. She was probably trying to get favour with, with Israel as they were starting to build. It didn't make it right. What I want to say is in this world, there are a lot of things that are not right. There are a lot of things that are really going to get under your skin. A lot of things that If you let them, they'll let you up because they're just not right. But you know what? If we're not trying to seek the glory for ourselves, God has got a way of actually taking something that is not right and actually bringing it under his authority and actually making a way. See, I don't think God spoke to her and said, JL, you need to deal with this guy. There was a plan in place for him to be dealt with. She did it for her own reasons. And it meant that both Deborah and Barak, A, didn't get the glory for the whole victory. But B, they didn't have his blood on their hands either. If you would actually say, I'll go too. If you would unify around a cause... If you would say, well, you know what, I don't, I don't need all the recognition. I don't need all the glory in this. I don't need to have my name up. And sometimes going to says, you know what, I'm actually, I'm, I'm prepared to share the spotlight with somebody else. In fact, I'm prepared to step right out of it. I'm prepared to be looking at something that is beyond me. If we would go through that, there will be opposition in your life. There will be things in our world that are just not right. And, and, and God, it can, in that place of submission, he can turn them around and actually make them work for his glory and his, and, and his purposes and your future. 
your direction and your prosperity. When we say, I'll go too. Let's stand. One of the cool things is there'd be a lot of people in this room that have said, I'll go too. Jesus changed the world with twelve guys. One of them didn't come off, so eleven. Two thousand years later, we remember their names. We name our children after them. We celebrate them as the apostles. What was the difference between those guys and and a whole lot of other other Jewish men that were about at the time? When Jesus said, follow me, they said, I'll come too. I'll come too. They didn't ask how I'll be recognised or what's in it for me or how this is all going to work out. They, they were all fears that they had. And, and on the way, Jesus had to work it out with some of them. Some of them wanted the glory. Some of them wanted to know what next steps were. Some of them wanted all that stuff. And, and he took them on a journey of working that out. But, but the, the thing that changed their lives and changed a whole lot of people's lives and changed history were that they said, I'll go too. If you would like your history to change, the history of your children to change, the future of your children, I could go on and on because in one little step of saying, I will go too, I will follow Jesus, I will make him king of my life, I will make him my Lord, I'll take a step of humility to say that actually I, I, I need to accept that. I need to recognise my part in humanity's failure and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You don't only change your life, but you change the lives of others. You write a new chapter in history. If you haven't done that this morning, if you've never said to Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, I believe that you died for what the Bible calls my sin, that basically is just rebellion against him, just doing it our own way, and coming to a place where you say, you know, I want you to come into my life, I want to receive that, that supernatural connection with God, and I want to follow you. We just bow our heads, close our eyes, and if you haven't done that, doesn't matter whether you're in church for the first time or you've been here half your life or whether you're somewhere in between. It doesn't matter at all. But if you can't stand here this morning and say, you know what, I am, I'm following Jesus. I've said that I'll go too. Why don't you make a real brave choice and say that I'll do that right now?